Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the Venture Fizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. For the 90th episode of our podcast, I interviewed Ash Kalarachi, co-founder of StartEd, an edtech accelerator and incubator in New York City. Some of my favorite episodes of this show are the ones where the guest wears their passion on their sleeve, and Ash's passion for edtech is nothing short of infectious. We start the podcast discussing where that passion comes from, and his love for education and technology comes through the entire episode. StartEd invests in and advises innovative edtech companies with intensive programs ranging from one day to six weeks. The Accelerator provides everything from mentorship to business development and beyond. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like Ash's background story and the early stages of his career, including how he got involved with Techstars, what led him down the path of launching StartEd, and how they work with entrepreneurs, plus all the details on New York EdTech Week, what he's most proud of in his career, the current state of the EdTech scene in New York, advice for EdTech founders who are figuring out the process for selling the school districts, what he's excited about in terms of the future of education and technology, plus a lot more. Okay, quick side note. Did you know that VentureFizz now has a YouTube channel? It is a great way to watch lots of interviews that we have with folks from the New York tech community. You'll find lots of practical advice or just an inside look at a company and how they operate. Go to youtube.com backslash VentureFizz to check out all of our episodes. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Ash. Ash, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Keith. So, Ash, you have a very interesting background, and obviously, um, you know, it, you can tell uh, EdTech is something that it, it's a passion of yours. So, wh- wh- what are the beginnings of that interest or passion? Certainly. Well, uh, that's a little bit of a long story, but I think an interesting one. Um, let me start in the middle. Uh, I'll tell you how it ended, and then uh, I think the beginning will make sense. Um, so, I got my start in EdTech um, at a company called Techstars. Um, they are probably the largest uh, accelerator uh, program in the world and accelerated thousands of companies. Uh, I was brought on uh, to manage the EdTech program for Kaplan uh, back in 2013, 2014. Um, and um, at that time, I had actually uh, been um, part of one of the first EdTech accelerators on the East Coast. Uh, unfortunately, that was more an experience in uh, knowing how not to run an accelerator, but uh, it was also an experience in getting to know the people who cared about the problem and all the mentors and investors in the space. So I was one of the few people who had operated one in the past. And, and so when Texas needed someone, they, they called me. I was, that was one of the most transformative, amazing experiences of my entire life. I, I loved working with that team. Um, uh, so much so that when, uh, the, the program wrapped up. Um, I wanted to keep that, that momentum going. And, and so I continued to launch other accelerators in space, work for other organizations, uh, helping them build their programs, um, help build seven other EdTech programs uh, around the world. Uh, and then uh, finally, about four years ago, um, uh, I had met a gentleman called Jonathan Harbour, uh, who was uh, the CEO of SchoolNet, and he had recently sold that to uh, Pearson for a quarter of a billion, became the head of K-12 technology. He and I got to know each other through Techstars, and uh, he was a mentor there. And uh, uh, we thought, why not keep this momentum going in New York? We were shortly thereafter fall, uh, uh, joined by Jimmy Allen, who's the CEO of Education Reform, 
Um, uh, she does a lot of work in the education reform space, uh, and and we started the company uh, with the goal to uh, attract and develop an army of education innovators to solve the world's largest challenges, uh, and also to turn New York and East Coast into a hub for education innovation. Uh, and the way we go about doing so is by creating courses, incubators, accelerators, and festivals. And we've done so mostly with New York University uh, here in New York. Um, now I'll start telling the story a little bit backwards. Let me tell you that. Yeah, let's, let's rewind the clock a little bit. So, like, actually, yeah. where did you grow up and, you know, what were you like as a kid? And actually, what did your parents do for work, too? I'm always curious with that question. So I get to, I think I'll be able to talk about it on stone. Uh, my, my parents actually ran a school for 300 kids out of a home in Sri Lanka. Wow. Uh, and I was probably my mom's worst student. Uh, uh, but um, got to see her uh, teaching uh, students uh, elocution and speech and drama for the first 17 years of my life, and I thought that was normal. Um, uh, so I kind of almost grew up in a school, uh, or a home that was a school. Uh, and then also, obviously I went to all boys public school as well uh, during the day, uh, and I got to know the public school system in that way. Uh, and then also joined a private high school um, that taught in English. Uh, my, my primary language is Sinhalese. So I got to know the private school market uh, as, a, as a consumer. Um, uh, my, my next experience in education was also as a consumer, uh, taking a plane ride when I was 17 from Colombo to Grinnell, Iowa. Uh, so I was at a small liberal arts university uh, called Grinnell. Uh, amazing experience. Um, you know, How did you identify that as a school to, to attend? Uh, we had a really good college counselor um, that uh, that knew about these opportunities. And, and the amazing thing about Grinnell was that um, Steve Jobs and uh, Warren Buffett managed their endowment from something like $25 million to a billion dollars. So it's the largest per capita endowment in the U.S. and no one knows about it. Um, the, they can also afford to pay for young Sri Lankan kids like me who show some potential. Uh, and, and so I got a full ride. And out of the 1,400 kids, 300 of them were international. So there's this little pocket of the world in the middle of the cornfields, which is amazing. Wow. Uh, <laughs> Great story. Uh, and, and then I also ended up uh, going to grad school. Uh, so I was at Georgetown uh, doing my MBA. Uh, and learning how that may or may not work for entrepreneurs. Uh, I, I, I tended to fall on the side of it didn't really work for entrepreneurs, at least that version of what school was back when I was in grad school. So I think I got to experience various aspects of, of education. That in no way qualifies me to uh, try to solve problems in the space, uh, but at least it gives me a perspective in various different places around the world about what education looked like. Um, the last part of that story is um, I also worked for a company that did as edu uh, executive education um, called the Executive Board down in D.C., essentially creating online peer groups for people and best practices research, uh, enabling best practices research uh, on, on business strategy. And I was this 20-year-old you know, kid calling CEOs uh, asking about their business strategies and just because I had a somewhat deeper voice uh, they told me stuff uh, and I wrote about it um, and I think I started appreciating the art of business strategy but also the privilege of learning from a group of peers 
And I think it was that initial experience of knowing what education should look like from my mom and what peer-based learning could look like from, from executives that resulted us launching uh, an accelerator and, and focusing on similar problems. Very cool. It's cool how it comes all full circle. Now, uh, while you were at Georgetown, you started your own company too, right? I did. Um, and uh, that was one of my favorite startup experiences. Uh, so a few uh, business school friends and I saw this, uh, this problem uh, with uh, the fact that you couldn't really get access to the food you uh, really crave uh, whenever uh, you wanted, um, specifically food that was a little bit more edgier and, and found on food trucks. Uh, we saw this tension between uh, restaurants uh, being you know, rather perturbed by the fact that food trucks were encroaching on their market. Um, we found uh, the fact that food trucks were getting relegated um, by, by uh, various lobbying organizations in different cities about where they could actually serve as customers. And we thought, why don't we try to put those, these two um, entities together and align incentives? So essentially, we created Move My Menu to go, uh, you know, pick up food from restaurants in the uh, in the morning and then distribute it to where the, the customers were by pretending to be the restaurants. So it was food trucks as a service. Uh, the idea was to have pa- panels on each side of the truck, which we could kind of change up the brand, um, uh, and have uh, the, the, the business model scale potentially by by promotion and marketing. Uh, also, we thought it would be a great platform for new chefs to test and trial food, and we'd collect data on, on which food items moved quickly and not sell that data back to the restaurants. Um, in theory, I think it was great in concept, but in, in execution, we realized it wasn't really scalable. Um, and uh, we would do the math, and you know, we'd put one tr- truck up, we'd get X revenue, two trucks, two X. So it didn't really scale. Um, and I think we'd learned about the, the concept of scalability uh, firsthand um, uh, at that time. And I think the true reason why that really failed was because we were four business school students. And I think you need diversity of thought on a team in order to really solve a big problem. Uh, so that was also a big lesson for me. What, what brought you to ultimately uh, landing at Techstars? Well, it was it was that connection between uh, testing out and trying new things. Uh, I did a couple of other things while I was in grad school, uh, focused on the international student recruitment space. Um, uh, I focused on a company that uh, was helping uh, reduce uh, traffic deaths, but also pollution and also cost savings by measuring the erraticness of driving. I tried all these ideas, was part of other teams, uh, and then eventually realized that um, after talking to three, 400 people over coffee or in interviews, I started seeing a, a group of people that I really liked about the type of problems they were solving. And I also really liked their passion. And that tended to be in the early stage space. Uh, and, and because I seem to have some experience uh, in, in education and I had a passion for it, I thought, why not do it a try? Uh, I knew it was a very difficult space. Um, but um, someone had once told me that if I wanted to help support organizations and I hadn't really done that, um, hadn't proven the, the fact that I had done that by creating a company and selling it at the time, what you need to do is start uh, thinking seven, 10 years in advance and simply start doing it and gathering the skills you need to advise founders. Uh, so it was that, that thinking that led me to do the same thing for, 
about a decade now. And then obviously you already kind of gave us a glimpse of, you know, what transpired to the point of starting your own accelerator. So talk more about StartEd and, and what you guys are all about and, and kind of, uh, you know, the, the progress to date. Sure, certainly. So we started the company, um, uh, what, what eventually became the company about four years ago. Part of why we grew out into these four different things, the courses, the incubator, the accelerator, and the festival, was somewhat by accident. Uh, we were running the company under a different brand with different partners, but we're still Jonathan and I, uh, that were the common denominator uh, back in 2015. And we simply rented space from New York University uh, for our demo day because Jonathan knew the dean. Uh, we gave them uh, co-hosting billing uh, for New York Ed Tech Week. And they, they liked the work we did so much that they said, hey, why don't you come do this for us? Uh, and, and that grew into our partnership with um, NYU, specifically NYU Steinhardt, the School of Education. But we work with a lot of other schools now at, at NYU uh, and elsewhere. The, the goal was to create a sustainable way for tech companies to be supported because in traditional acceleration, you've got to wait a few years before you start seeing success in terms of exits. Um, that's much longer than traditional um, the venture capital return timeline because especially if you're in K-12 or higher ed, the sales cycle is much longer and that results in companies exiting later. Um, uh, so you need patient capital and you need a sustainable model if you are going to do that. So that's why we created a festival, courses and other elements to create a, a, a steady stream of uh, revenue that we could break even and continue to make investments in companies through uh, funding partners. And how often are you running the, the accelerator, the actual, you know, having companies apply and then going through a whole program? Uh, so let me define accelerator, at least from my perspective. Um, so accelerators um, offer or enable investment uh, and are uh, fixed length programs that create accountability and deadlines in order for companies to get stuff done, right? So uh, there is learning that goes on, but it is really about getting stuff done. And for, uh, for me, we do that in two different ways. Um, so for companies that uh, require investment, we run a six-week bootcamp. Um, that's, uh, we invest up to 170K per company. Uh, that program, uh, we've actually stopped taking applications for in 2019 until we uh, secure a specific partner for it. Um, in lieu of making companies wait until we do that, uh, we've actually introduced a week-long program for organizations that are generating revenue uh, where we do the same things, uh, which are um, get companies in front of uh, the right types of investors, help them test investment hypotheses, help them learn about specific markets, whether they're entering the U.S. or whether they're exploring other markets in the U.S. Um, or uh, in other markets in education, and then also get their brand out and help them with their positioning. Uh, that tends to be the biggest uh, unexpected help uh, that companies get when they come to us. Uh, it is that they, they significantly change how they present their organizations um, uh, over those five days. And, and most folks tell me... You know, how much can you really get out of five days? And um, uh, every single company that has gone through the program has been transformed. And uh, the, the program has an NPS score of 100. So I'm pretty confident it's a good uh, solution that we've developed to help CEOs get an assessment of where they are at that time. 
Now, how did you come up with the ideas? Like, because there are different aspects of, you know, what entrepreneurs can have access to versus other accelerators where it's just, you know, a three month or whatever, 10, 12 week commitment. So I'm trying to be trying to eat on dog food. Uh, so I'm, I'm studying uh, the development of a company in EdTech from the point where the idea originates, in fact, from, from the point where the, before the idea originates, right? And so we're talking about students, all the way until you know, pre-IPO uh, and, and exit. And what the market might not realize is that there's a lot of nuance between helping a company that's perhaps at 50 to 100K in in evidence that they're actually solving a problem, i.e. revenue, uh, versus uh, a couple of hundred, versus half a million, versus a million. Um, there's a lot of nuance in how companies should pay for that as well. So a lot of this is business model innovation at our end. Um, since we're in education, I want to give companies the ability to choose between paying in ownership, i.e. equity, or paying uh, in dollars or revenue share, right? So I think I want to make it as flexible as possible for companies to uh, to work with us. So we're trying to recognize a, that companies need different things at different stages, but also at each of those stages, make it the company's choice in what they want to retain uh, in terms of their ownership or, or revenue. Uh, let's talk about the festival. So New York EdTech Week, like that's a, a massive undertaking every year, I'm sure. So, so what's, what was the idea of, you know, kicking that off? And then like, what's um, anything that you can share that, uh, you know, thinking about for this year? Uh, it's, it's a ton of fun uh, for those of you who haven't, uh, haven't been to it. Uh, so it's um, about two and a half, three days, uh, usually in December, uh, you always held in New York. Uh, and what we like to say is that it's um, at the corner of Broadway and EdTech. Uh, uh, there's a lot of performance and art that goes into it. And, and my goal for it has really been to have that festival be uh, a gateway for investors, educators, entrepreneurs who aren't in education understand that this is a significant space that needs solving. Again, going back to attracting entrepreneurs to the industry. It also is about making education uh, more engaging, right? Uh, so uh, we do something called the show, uh, where we have um, uh, you know TED, TED style talks. We call them Star TED talks, um, alongside performers who come in and, and sing about entrepreneurship. We had the gentleman who currently performs as Aladdin on Broadway come in and present his company in EdTech, but also uh, sing a song from, that got cut from the original Aladdin movie. That's cool. Um, uh, he was singing about uh, uh, Aladdin making his mom proud of him after he proves himself. Um, and the song was called Proud of Your Boy. And I think that's a that's a emotional note that really resonates with um, both male and female founders when uh, they are starting to do something that no one's ever done before. Um, so we do that, that show um, component. We also have uh, something called Open Labs, where uh, institutions around New York City will open up their doors and, and talk about how they support innovation and be able to kind of go in and experience that. Uh, so, um, you know, the World Trade Center would open up and talk about how they are encouraging uh, architecture education. Yeah. Uh, 
um, the folks at the Brooklyn Public Library will open up their doors and talk about uh, the early, early stage literacy they're doing for adult learners and looking for jobs. Those are all just, just examples and hypotheses about what you might experience. But uh, that aspect of it is designed to look and feel like, I jokingly say, the, the fashion week for education. But we want to really showcase what New York City has to offer, and, and we literally put people in those spaces to do that. Very cool. So, you know, you've been running um, StartEd for four years and all these different components that power it. So what are you the most proud of? Uh, I think the companies that we work with. And, and um, uh, we've invested in about 30 companies so far. We have uh, something over uh, a couple of hundred alums um, that have gone through our programs. And I just love to see um, the the real movement that these companies are making. Um, they're literally shortening that uh, seven to two year, seven to ten year expectation that people have about the industry and kind of idea to exit. Um, uh, and, and really making uh, a pathway for other entrepreneurs to follow. I love hearing stories about how uh, founders are also supporting each other. Um, that's kind of the goal of what we're doing as well. We want to make sure that entrepreneurs help other entrepreneurs not walk down the paths that might not be optimal for them. Uh, if someone had told me uh, what paths not to walk down uh, when I was initially running accelerators, I would have really appreciated that, that. But no one else was really around to tell me what not to do. Uh, I would love to be able to shorten um, that time between idea and exit by, by sharing that more between the community. I also like I love to see when the city really takes a stand uh, and, and announce itself as, as a hub for education. When we started out, we wanted uh, the city to recognize itself as that. And two years ago, we had uh, Alicia Glenn, who is the deputy mayor of New York, uh, get up on stage and using the data that we had helped her gather, announced that New York City was a, uh, was a home for education innovation companies. And it showed that companies exiting here were exiting more so and at larger numbers than um, in other places around the world. That's just the start. Uh, and, I want, and, I've seen, and I want to see more of that come out over the years. Now, obviously, uh, there's so much going on in the New York tech ecosystem across all different industries and all different forms of technology. But what's the current landscape like at this stage for um, the ed tech industry in New York? So uh, New York has about uh, a thousand tech companies. If you go on AngelList and, and check that out, that data is available. Globally, that number ranges between fifteen to twenty thousand, depending on the resource you look at. Uh, and when I say edtech, I think we should also define what that is. Uh, for me, that means um, anyone solving a problem that's at, in pre-K, K twelve, higher ed. Uh, corporate learning, uh, adult learning, consumer-focused learning. Um, in fact, anything that involves instructions, we think can be transformed through digital instruction. So if you look at the market that way, as well as consider, at least in the for-profit space, um, companies from uh, initial inception to, uh, to exit, you're talking about a $6 trillion market globally. Of those, a thousand of those companies are based in New York and span all those areas um, because uh, New York City is such a diverse place from in terms of businesses and problems to be solved. It tends to be a great 
uh, place to experiment. Uh, so if you were solving a problem in pre-K for specific types of learners and you were providing that service as um, a service as a box to daycare centers, there are fewer there are few cities around the around the world that can say they have you know X number of folks who would take a risk on an early stage solution. So it tends to be a good city for risk taking because the city the city likes risk taking and there's enough number of folks who represent a certain customer profile uh, to test that in. And there's been some companies that are you know have hit of significant scale, and then there's been some great outcomes. Um, you know, General Assembly being one of them, and then just this week, uh, Trilogy announced their acquisition. So there's been some uh, some great exits recently. Yeah, and and uh, you know those are great uh, announcements that uh, uh, we love to see. Uh, so both the the founders at Two You and at Trilogy are mentors in our program. Uh, there, there's going to be some more announcements as well. Um, uh, and and since I think I think I saw the public announcement of a few others, uh, I'll, I'll talk about them. Uh, there was the acquisition of uh, Flocabulary, uh, which is a, a K-12-focused uh, company that uh, is uh, focused on hip-hop education. Uh, they announced acquisition uh, by Neopod, uh, and, and they're a company that you know grew up in Brooklyn. That was a 15-year story where the founders bootstrapped the company, only took investment once because... Well, but because I suggested that they do, <laughs> uh, but I initially told them that they shouldn't, uh, and they ended up being very picky about the type of investors uh, they uh, they accepted. Uh, but that's a great story. That's a great New York story for how a company kind of bootstrap itself and, and is now going to be in the in the history books for uh, solving a gigantic problem in K twelve. And those stories are happening here. One of the trickier things, if you are building a product that is sold to K through 12 school systems, what, like it can be like selling, you know, district by district or however it is structured, you know, based on the communities. So what advice do you give the founders that are trying to overcome that challenge of the sales model? It is hard, right? So one of the, one of the issues, well, let's talk specifically about K-12 and, and put the rest of the verticals aside for now. Um, with K-12, it's important to, re- to understand the stages at which um, you need to approach the market, right? So, uh, for example, um, to really be at scale uh, in K-12, you need to be making district-level sales. And, and a function of uh, making district-level sales is knowing the difference between, you know, a 1,000-student district versus a 100,000-student district. And, and there is so much variety in the needs of uh, those districts at the different levels of scale, but you need to know where your solution fits most. You also need to be aware of where the government is allocating budgetary dollars to help solve the problem that you're solving, right? So uh, you need to be aware of regulatory changes um, uh, in order to do that. Most importantly, you have to know where the more progressive district leaders who are technology-friendly, who are looking to create uh, solve problems at scale might be, right? And that really happens um, from talking to folks and finding those pockets of uh, progressive minds. Uh, luckily, uh, among the district leaders that I've worked with in, in New York and work with uh, a few dozen, uh, there's quite a few. And they contribute their time as, as mentors and started as well to advise an organization to work with. 
so recognizing whether when you're ready is probably the biggest uh, the biggest place that most companies uh, get wrong. I think the rest of the process is really about knowing, understanding that district leaders are inundated with uh, uh, this type of messaging all the time. So strategies that involve uh, district of district recommendations or making it. Uh, free for uh, particular aspects of the school and then really showing value uh, and then charging for that value, those strategies tend to be um, accepted more often. And one of the companies that uh, is in the ecosystem is Schoology that uh, actually is product that's used by my district. So I have uh, two, two girls, you know, so seventh and uh, ninth grade. And uh, so it's cool to see an actual you know, product and how it affects me and how it affects my kids. Uh, and it's very different from when I was in school. Um, so thinking ahead, like, so what are you excited about as relates to technology and how it can affect, you know, change and, and education? So uh, I can actually uh, tell you a little bit about Schoology and how that impacted uh, change in education. So it is interesting business, business models, right? So um, business model innovation is important as, as we discussed earlier. And I think Schoologies was actually a prime example of one. So what they did was essentially make the solution, which is uh, you know, a platform for managing uh, school um, curricular and activities, uh, a social network, if you will, um, free for educators. Uh, and they would analyze where there were specific critical mass of educators uh, building on the platform at a particular school. And then once there was a critical mass, they would go to the administrator and say, hey, uh, all your educators are using this particular product. If you want to direct and administrate that, uh, here's analytics, uh, and this is how much we would charge for the analytics, right? So I think that's an interesting way to really show value, solve a problem, and then get paid to direct, uh, that allow the school to self-direct themselves. To, uh, to, to respond to your question around uh, where real change can happen in schools, I think actually that's the the, the problem uh, with the framing of education. Uh, real change happens in schools and outside of schools, right? So it's not as much about the how making classrooms more efficient and and uh, and more effective. Educators, if we can come up with more solutions to save educators time uh, and effort, and hopefully maybe even get them paid better. Those are, would be amazing solutions in the U.S., but um, where real innovation happens is where uh, learning ties to the real world and when it comes to connecting students to their, their home lives, their relationships with their parents, their relationships with their future and current employers. I think that's where the market is really going. Um, in fact, th there's quite a few funds who have rebranded as uh, job creation funds or as uh, you know, adult education or career corporate learning uh, focused funds that used to be focused broadly in EdTech because people are realizing that's where the need is here. Yeah, there's so much going on and it's exciting. I mean, just at its simplistic level, um, you know, there's so many different options. And just for me, I, like if, if I was a student now, I think I would probably be learning a lot better because I'm more of a visual learner. And when things like Khan Academy started to come into the fold where, you know, I could watch a Khan Academy video and be like, okay, I get it versus reading through a textbook because that's just how my brain operates. It's more of a visual learning than it is processing information in text. So it's just, it's really cool how, to, how things have evolved. 
Yeah, and and, and I think we we invested in a company called Wanda VR um, in 2017. That's a video virtual reality authoring tool. So classrooms will be you no know, teachers will be able to literally author an experience uh, for a student to virtually visit camps in Syria or wherever. Right? Um, I think that's that's cool technology, uh, but it's distinct from cool technology that actually works. Uh, because not only is it a cool technology, but this particular uh, tool is able to increase retention and comprehension to a certain degree. So you can't just be a cool tool. You actually have to measure the fact that you're really improving learning outcomes. Well, there's so much going on in EdTech. I mean, we could talk for, for hours and hours and hours on this. But uh, outside of your, your professional life, what, um, what do you like to do for fun outside of work? When I do find the time, uh, I, so I'm, I, as I mentioned, I grew up in Sri Lanka. Uh, so whenever uh, I do have a week or two in a given year, I try to head back home and, and see what's going back home on the beaches and, and in Colombo. That hasn't happened in a while. Uh, so uh, I'm actually trying to make a trip uh, soon. When I'm, when I'm not working in New York, uh, I tend to like short film quite a bit. So uh, I've... <laughs> One of my proudest moments was uh, in, in college. I, I studied econ and psychology, but what I was actually doing was making short films, some terrible short films. Uh, but I ended up um, winning the college film competition uh, my senior year, uh, and that got me into this kick of doing a short film uh, as frequently as I can. So every few years, I will get together a group of people, uh, usually three or four, and we'll come up with an idea to shoot on Friday. We'll shoot it on Saturday, edit it on Sunday, and release it. I think that uh, usually satiates some of my creative energies. Well, Ash, thanks for taking the time to walk us through your background. Obviously, all the great work you're doing in the in the uh, you know ed tech industry in New York. Oh, my pleasure, Keith. Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFizz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.